everyone, Travis here from Addicted to MRR. Welcome to another episode. Today we have kind of a, a different twist than what we normally do with our with our show, but we have a real special treat for you. We have Dan Martell. Dan, how's it going? I'm doing incredible, Travis. Thanks for having me on. I'm I'm literally incredibly excited. Yeah, well, you know, thanks for being here. You know, like I like I told you right before we hit record, you know, normally we're uh, we're focused on people that are, are like you know have started the business and are and are running it in software, but. I know you have a history of doing that, and then now you help other people do that. Is that is that correct? That is true. So the fun part of my life today is I've got like the one of the largest coaching businesses uh, that focuses predominantly on software as a service, so B two B SaaS, and then I also have my venture side of my life where I've invested in forty plus SaaS companies, and then more recently I'm actually buying and holding. So I'm still operating companies with my team there and coaching over here so it's kind of fun to have a foot in both worlds um because it's i mean it's obviously helping people grow using growth strategies that are working in today's market but it's also fun for me to apply them in the companies that i buy sure can you give us a little bit of a background i mean i, I you know i read through your, your bio and you, you got a nice early start and you, you did different kinds of businesses you know i think a lot of us on the entrepreneurial journey you know we we try a little bit of this we try a little bit of that um, you know, we're, we're hard workers. We got we got lots of ideas, and the execution kind of comes down to be the magic sauce, right? So, give us kind of a, an idea so the, the viewers have context yeah. about you know how you got here. Well, I mean, the 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 interesting story that's specifically around the monthly reoccurring revenue is you know, and the, I think the reason why people love the business is because it's predictable, right? It's consistent. It's it's a beautiful business model, and that's why I think the whole world's going to the subscription economy. But the reason I was drawn to it specifically is because I actually grew up in a really challenging environment where chaos and uncertainty was kind of part of my life. I, I grew up in a household where my mom was an alcoholic, my dad was in sales, always on the road. And um, you know, as a young kid, I was diagnosed with ADHD. I had you know uh, anger issue and, and over the years ended up getting taken out of my home, put in foster care, group homes. And eventually ended up uh, in jail twice by the time I was 17. And the the thing that really, you know, got me in um, kind of to, to realize there was something wrong in my decisions was, you know, finding myself high and drunk in a stolen car with a handgun sitting next to me in a backpack. And I told myself before I stole the car, if the police pulled me over, I was going to point the gun and let them take my life. And um, I ended up uh, getting in a high speed chase, crashing into a, uh, a house getting arrested and um, spent five months in an adult facility due to kind of the severity of the crimes and released to a, a rehab center called Portage. The reason why it's relevant to the tech entrepreneurs out there is I did 11 months of therapy, rebuilding you know my relationships with my family and building my self-confidence and understanding my, my emotions and, and really just working on me for 11 months. But at the end of that program, I was helping Rick, the maintenance guy, clean out one of the old uh, cabins on site because it was an old church camp. And in one of the rooms in the cabin, there was this old 486 computer and a yellow book on Java programming sitting next to it. This is 96, 97. And uh, I just opened it up and followed the chapter one, you know, booted up the computer, got into the terminal and just literally got the computer to say, hello world. And I thought it was a, I thought it was a computer genius. I thought, man, <laughs> look, I just did this thing. This is crazy. Um, you know, and, and what happened for me is just software became uh, my new addiction and building companies, literally the, the ultimate personal development program. And the reason why I fell in love with the subscription SaaS, uh, back then it was called you know, ASP. And, you know, there's been so many different terms for this, but just the idea of getting paid every month really brought a sense of certainty and predictability in a, in a life that for, for my whole life, I was, I was really looking for. And, and it's why today it continues to be part of how I look for business opportunities and how I structure my habits and my health. And I don't know, I just feel super grateful to be here, Travis, and uh, to have gone on the journey of, you know, since then, you know, I got out of rehab and then there was this thing called the internet that turned out kind of be a big deal. So this is 97, <laughs> like right in that. So it, I ended up it's amazing in hindsight to think that complete. people thought the internet was going to be a fad, right? Isn't that just like an amazing totally. thing? Totally. <laughs> there is a video from 1995 of a news anchor making fun of the internet. And I just, I love watching this just to, to remind people how it was like Bitcoin, right? Like it was just like, oh, this is weird. 
you know, as hackers and porn and it just never, nobody took it seriously for a long time. But, um, yeah, since then I, you know, I've built five software companies, exited the last three, invested in 40 plus entrepreneurs as an angel investor. So like Intercom, Hootsuite, Udemy, Get Around. So like these incredible SaaS companies and, um, and, and then today I work, I have the privilege of working with literally the best SaaS founders in the world, helping them scale their software companies as a coach. Yeah, that, that's awesome. You know, it's it's always kind of funny. You talked about, you know, creating that hello world script and we can feel so victorious in the early days. And, and sometimes, you know, we aren't sure what's going to smack us in the mouth coming down the road, right? It's like, uh, if, you, if you listen to old seasoned airplane pilots, they actually say the most dangerous time in their career is when they first got their license. Uh, not because 100%. not because they realized it at the time, it's because they're almost overconfident, right? Like you hit that first victory level and you're like, yes, I can take on the world. And then you get down the pipe and you're like, oh my God, how do I actually drive trials? How do I reduce churn? How do I do those metrics? And all of a sudden you realize it turns out to be this this beast sometimes and that can feel overwhelming for entrepreneurs as they go down the journey and you know uh, you i i obviously am addicted to mrr i love the concept of recurring revenue but then you also have founders out there sometimes that talk about well yeah but what's your normal lifetime value can you actually make more money selling a, a lifetime product sometimes and so you know you've obviously seen a lot of different software companies and you know if someone's out there trying to think about that What's your advice for someone in an early stage that's just trying to get going? And then if they're trying to think about that model subscription versus, you know, can I actually get more money for a lifetime value? Like, you know, that's popular in, in the internet marketing world of creating products that are lifetime value because you can move a lot of units, the conversion rates higher. You know, how do you approach those metrics and, and think about how you want to build your business? Yeah. Well, I mean, the fun part of the internet. So like I coach guys like Russell Brunson, Ryan Dice, Garrett J. White, um, and many others. Like if for some reason, oh, uh, Alex Becker, like the, the, the top internet marketers, if they have a software product come to me because that's what I'm known for. Right. And I, it's fun to see their business models and we kind of find this hybrid approach. So I'm a big fan of building a high price front end offer, right? That's what they would call it. But, you know, you call it like a setup fee, multi-year contracts, et cetera. And the reason why is it makes a lot of sense to um, increase your CAC payback period, right? So being able to essentially fund your growth off of the front end offer, you know, ClickFunnels went from, you know, zero to hundred million in like four years uh, in revenue, a hundred percent off of the ability to self-liquidate their ads and their cost acquire customer off of that initial transaction. Now, the risk that they all run into um, that I that I talked to them, I was literally talking to a client yesterday about this in the internet space is um, that the product isn't suited or designed yet to have high retention. And so I, I shared with them this concept of the, the North Star metric. And I think this can apply to early stage people is understanding what's your, your, your metric of value that if you measured that would tell you if the product is being valued by the customer. So the North star metric is different for each product. For example, Airbnb would be nights booked. It's their North star metric. Um, you know, Facebook would be daily active users, but for most productivity tools, um, like a Salesforce or a Slack or a Trello, um, then we're looking at some kind of usage metric that's a leading indicator to revenue, right? So for example, you need to figure out, and the easiest way to do this is say, well, what are my most engaged users? And then look at their behavior and then figure out what's the threshold. Is it, you know, if I have a, one of my clients, Ryan, he has a software called Bucket, you know, so Bucket, their North Star metric is the percent of accounts that got at least seven leads in the previous, uh, seven leads per day on average in the previous seven days. If people do that, they know they're not going to churn because they're engaged, they're active, they're receiving value of the product. And I would just think that's just such a core fundamental process that any company, any founder can do at any age that will lead to revenue. Even if you're selling a front end kind of like business opportunity and your product becomes the tool to deliver that opportunity. Uh, if you make sure that everybody that buys gets activated and you, and you try to focus on North star metric, then at the end of the year, cause this is what happens. Usually people buy annual licenses for this software cause it's such a great deal. And there's all these extra bonuses and the cost of the, the thing 
and the bonus is worth more. So I'm just going to buy for the bonus and they don't stick around. You get a 30% retention rate. Like literally that's about the norm worse, a little bit better. But you know, if you get 70% of your customers leaving every year, it just makes it really tough for you to scale the business. Um, so I would say, um, monitoring and building features that improve your North star metric is just a really good habit to get into from day one. Totally. Yeah. And, and then that obviously gets into like the stickiness of the product too. Right. So like, you know, my background, we, we've, we've built a bunch of different software, but the two that we're known for is contest domination, which is a contest platform. And that had a really high churn rate and it wasn't because the product was bad, but it's because it required the customer to like constantly put energy back into it, launch a contest. Right. And, and it's very easy to be complacent. Like that's what most people's sort of default mode is like, it's easier to say no than to say yes. And so they wouldn't want to come back and build it. And so then we built our email tool campaign refinery and that's been scaling really fast. And so what, you know, what we look at there, like our metrics are how many emails are sent, right? How fast can they start sending emails? Cause if emails are sending out, they're getting value. And then, then how can we reduce that, that dopamine hit even quicker, right? Like we have a built-in list cleaning tool. So we know that if we can get them to import any contacts at all, like they're going to get that dopamine hit of seeing like, oh, you scrubbed out these spam traps and these undeliverables. Like they're getting that, that positive feedback loop even before they send the first email and then getting that email volume rolling and, and watching that scale up. And so those, if we move those metrics, we know revenue will follow. And so sort of chasing that down the rabbit hole and thankfully marketing automation is much stickier than a contest tool as you can imagine way stickier and i mean like and i have a lot of people that reach out because they have tools similar to the contest product you built like um you know amazon tools to find you know trending software well it's like a dating site as soon as you find somebody then you leave the dating site so you you have to make sure that and if you don't have that, I want to share this with people is the question you want to ask yourself is what is what does your customer do three minutes before and three minutes after they use your product? And in that answer is opportunity to increase the product breadth to find maybe a workflow that's stickier. And that's that's the reality. If you have enough of a you have some kind of flywheel going in traction, that's great. That's a good hook. But then you got to figure out how do I increase the product line so that I can get that retention? something because i ran into this with my company Flowtown. we were a social um campaign tool and it was cool because we would let you upload email addresses and then see all the social media profiles that those people were connected to and but it's like if i we didn't build the campaigning tool then that data set was interesting people would pay for it, but it would be transactional not reoccurring reoccurring is where the world is going and it's just a better business model for sure yeah i i definitely tend to agree with you pretty strongly <laughs> um you know, as far as the, uh, you know, the, the higher ticket, right. And, and high ticket always kind of cracks me up because, you know, in some markets, you know, if, if you're like, uh, you know, selling in-app coins, like high ticket might be, you know, a $99 coin bundle sale. Whereas, you know, for most people, high ticket is, is five grand. Whereas in enterprise SaaS, high ticket might be, you know, a quarter million or more, you know, so the, the concept of high ticket itself, if we can just, you know, at least acknowledge that that's a little bit abstract, um, I definitely think that's a big missed opportunity for a lot of SaaSes, especially when there is this like extreme competitive competitiveness in the ad buying market. So like, again, in the email space, you know, I'm just talking from my own experience here with email marketing, as you can imagine, it's a pretty saturated market, right? Like I think we have a unique, unique selling proposition, but there's a lot of freaking email tools out there, right? And they're all offering free trials. And, you know, some of them have totally free plans to, you know, go the freemium model. Some of them have... $20 a month plans. Like how do you compete when cost per click is, you know, multiple dollars per click for a freemium plan? Like that's crazy. You know, I don't, I don't have $500 million of VC money sitting in my back pocket to go acquire customers. Right. And so we, we have actually followed that sort of high ticket application model where, you know, it's at least five grand, but you know, we find a way to, to solve the pain points for people that are most motivated to move. Right. And then all of a sudden it doesn't even really matter. They don't, they don't necessarily need to be that $1,000, $2,000, $5,000 a month customer, which we do sometimes still get through that funnel. They can be that $100 a month, $300 a month. But now we can go spend $1,000 to acquire a customer because we're getting five grand on the front end. Right. And then it's $100 a month on the back end. And that's fine. Um, that, that math actually pencils out. What are some creative well, and ways? Travis, I'm curious, like, well, just because people are listening and they, they're probably going to ask themselves, how do I do that for, for their business? Because my belief is that SaaS really should stand for, you know, success as a service. 
So something tells me in your $5,000 front end offer that essentially you're solving the problem. The tool is one component, right? Like that's what people don't realize is nobody wakes up and says, I want a project management tool. They wake up and say, I'm sick of not getting. Yeah, I want shit done. I want to get stuff working. And for some reason, it's not. So the app is part of the solution. And if I come across, you know, an offer that says, hey, here's our unique perspective on how things get done in the world. Most people get it right because of this. We think about it this way. And, you know, if you want somebody to help handhold you, audit your team, you know, check in, coach, set up, like people, people are willing to pay $5,000 to solve problems. Just most, most tech entrepreneurs, especially the programmer software ones, don't think in the breadth of the bigger picture because it feels like work. But as you've demonstrated, guess what? That's where opportunity is. It is clothed in work. And uh, when you crack that nut, it allows you to outspend other competitors in the space. And I just think it's, it's actually a better service to the world to design it to solve the problem and, and price it accordingly so that everybody wins. Yeah, I mean, you know, when I think about software, I think about it as the vehicle to get them across the bridge, right? Because, you know, as the as you know, the CEO of Black and Decker back in the day used to say, we don't sell drills, we sell holes, right? And so when you think of your product as selling the outcome, how how does that reposition it? And when you when you have a software tool, which, you know, all software tools eventually become a commodity, right? They become a race to the bottom. The difference is, can you tell a more compelling story about the outcome and then have a onboarding and systems in place that can get people to that bridge to that hole in the wall faster right and so when we're when we're selling our sort of done for you setup we're like immediately selling a pain reliever we're not selling vitamins we're not selling candy we're now selling a pain reliever because we do it for you right like most of the people that we talk to through that funnel it's it's all about deliverability is, is sort of the hook on that offer and people that are, are having mm-hmm. challenges and it's not that because they're uh, uneducated it's not because they're dumb people or unmotivated usually it's a lack of knowledge and a lack of executional ability within their own organization to make that outcome a reality. And so what we are able to do is we're like, look, you know, you can actually get great deliverability on most of the good email tools. The problem is, is you need a few pieces in place, which we've made sure is part of our product. And then you need a strategy tailor fit to your business to help you get the outcomes you want that, you know, once you say, okay, if you buy into that concept, if I can double my clicks, I can double my sales. And that becomes a no-brainer question, especially when they don't have to do the facilitation of the work. They just hand over the keys to their existing tools and you know they wake up in a few days and they hit a button and they're using our vehicle instead of someone else's, right? They paid some money for it, but all of a sudden, if they can double their clicks and double their sales, five grand becomes a footnote, right? Most people don't understand It's a big idea, Travis. Yeah, most people- This is a big idea that most people in tech don't get. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people also don't realize is that there really is no such thing as price objection. Right. So I'd like to talk to you about that because I'm sure that's something that you guys talk about a lot. The only objection usually is, do I believe that your offer can get me there? Right. So, let, let, yeah. If, if you want, well, to talk I mean, about there's, that. there's, I could talk about price. Pricing is is fascinating, right? Because there's on an X Y axis, there's the price you want to charge, and then there's the willingness to pay on the bottom, right? And usually, what happens is there's a disconnect between the value proposition you're making and the value perception okay so if you think of value perception and so like you can either fix through positioning their perception so they're willing to pay so your price axis is like this or you can reduce your proposition by reducing your price i'm a big fan of fixing the perception fixing the copy the positioning sorry i just had uh, april dunford who wrote an incredible book called obviously awesome uh, coach my clients uh, two weeks ago. And, and her whole thing was around understanding your position and especially your market is probably, I would argue, Travis, the most competitive space on the internet. Like you're playing, you're playing software on God mode. Like it's really (laughs) fascinating. Um, MarTech specifically, but email marketing as a subcategory to MarTech is pretty crazy. And, um, and it really comes down to, to that. So, but on the value side, 
I think about it is like, there's three things that they need to believe to be true, to make a decision to buy one. They got to trust the person they're talking to. A lot of people don't think about that. It's like, who's this person? Are they credible? Um, do I trust the company? Cause a lot of people don't realize that I've been doing this long enough to have been burned by investing in a company that wasn't willing to play the long game. And then in two or three years, I'm forced to have to change platforms when it wasn't even part of my annual planning and really don't like that. So is the company gonna be the innovators that I need them to be? Are they gonna be around for the long term, et cetera? And then the third is, do I trust the offer will solve my problem the way I see it, right? And those are like three specific things that have to be true for somebody to say yes. And you can have the first two and not like all three are kind of like levels of 10 of like, if there are at least nines across the board, you're going to get the sale. And most people don't even think of those three lenses to, to even consider in regards to like, can I increase the, the, the win rates of a sales demo, for example? So yeah, the, the, the pricing is the value and perception, but even more importantly, from a sales point of view, can I position it? and get them to believe and have certainty that those three things are true. Totally agree. Yeah, they, you know, I think a lot of people's gut reaction when sales aren't moving enough for them is to discount or, you know, to to water down and it's it it's so wrong in so many ways because then you, you're also sending basically a a negative feedback loop saying, "Yes, my product really is just a commodity. It really should be on that you know, 500 product comparison page where you found us on, you know, it's that we're not, you know, we're, we're just as the same as everyone else, but now we're competing on price. And, and that's, you know, you're going to get gutted, right? Like that, that's why Apple makes trillions of dollars and Foxconn who's big, ha, you know, makes like two to 5% margins instead of. And, and I want to just say this, Travis, is that the thing that Apple's doing, this is the new uh, iPhone 12 pro um, their positioning and it's subtle, but I've seen it is around security and that's their, that is literally strategically everything they're doing is the opposite. Every, no, but like that long-term game of saying, this is your information. It's your security. We're like, everything's natively here. We don't want to monetize by selling your data. That positioning that they're taking is why they're a premium product and absolutely going to continue to crush it in the market. It, it's why they can continue to charge. Uh, you know, first of all, their their economies of scale. Yeah, their economies of scale allow them to create the fit and finish that's like ridiculous compared to like you know just from a manufacturing standpoint. That's fascinating to me. But then to continue to then add additional premiums to that like you know to say we're just not going to include the charging block anymore and there's there is you know environmental reasons but there's a hundred percent margin reasons and things that they can continue to trim and save and and pad no their... more headphones <laughs> isn't that crazy yeah i mean the headphones you wouldn't use anyway but the charging block i have a bigger problem with for most people uh especially if you're a new iphone user but you know the, but but the whole point is that they can continue to sustain some of the highest prices certainly the highest average selling prices uh, in, in the world for their products, but incl actually include less content. It's because, you know, premium pro premium finishes, premium positioning, and that value prop change, right? They're, they're not, you're not finding the new iPhone 12 for, you know, $299. You're not seeing the, the Google Pixel approach where they're going for a mid-tier phone and then immediately discounting it, you know, a month or two afterwards trying to move units. No, when Apple comes out with something, this is the price and, you know, this is going to be the price no for the entire year. Yeah, period. It's always the price. I, I, when I started buying Apple products, I always thought like somebody's going to be able to get me wholesale pricing. I have still not found wholesale pricing with Apple. Like it's it's the price. It's what you pay. Yep, totally. And, and, and I love that, that that's such a contrast to the tech world where you're so used to the price coming out and it's a slow, long decline over that product's lifehood. Then the next version comes out, it spikes up, low, long, slow decline. Nope, Apple's like, we want to play at this price point. It's going to be that price to the penny for as long as you can buy it in the Apple store. Love it. Cool. So, you know, I was as I was reading through your your background, I also saw that you had a hand with Clarity, which kind of perked my interest because we've had Will Schroeder on the show of startups.com. We were a big fan of that and what they're doing over there. And and uh, you know, we we personally signed up and, and loved their AWS credits. You know, who doesn't love it's one of the best deals going, right? Five grand and yeah. AWS credits for the the price of the startups.com membership. Awesome, awesome deal. Can you kind of walk us through because it sounds like I mean that was an exit record startups.com owns it now, but you were involved with that in the beginning. Just out of curiosity, like how did that process work? How did you grow that? How did you offload it? What was your involvement in there? 
Yeah, so I, I was the founder. I wrote the first MVP of the product. Um, so Clarity was this crazy idea I had. I was living in San Francisco, and I remember um, I, I, I'm, I'm a – I'm a big fan. Back in the day, I used to give my, I want to talk to people. I'm an, I'm an extreme extrovert. And, uh, I just sold my company Flowtown, and, uh, you know, it went all over the press and then I had people coming out like, Hey, I'd love to pick your brain, love to pick your brain. And I, I truly wanted to, to talk to all these people that wanted my, um, my advice. And so I built this little tool that was like a, a call list builder. So I wrote it in Twilio and you just fill out your name and your number, et cetera. And, um, it would build a call list that I could hit play. And while I was driving, it would literally call people, tell me what they wanted to talk about. I'd talk to them as soon as they hang up, it would call the next person. And it was like this little productivity tool. I went to the roof of my, um, my house one night and I tweeted it out. If you need advice, let's talk. And I linked the link and it was clarity.fm cause it was clarity and then broadcasting, right? That's why it was called. That was the name. And, um, I ended up spending three hours talking to strangers that have been following me on Twitter for five, <laughs> six, seven years. It was crazy. And uh, I just had this realization that if we could unlock the knowledge that I knew existed in the city of San Francisco, not even just for the tech scene, but if you could do that in different industries for the rest of the world to make great, smart people available, I just thought it was a really big problem worth solving. And that, that was the inspiration. We ended up raising $1.6 million for, in funding from like Mark Cuban and a ton of other incredible Silicon Valley uh, firms. And uh, over a two-year period, we grew it like crazy. And then we hit a point where I, I seen that the only way for this thing to go to a billion-dollar exit was for us to start doing corporate and kind of more the financial firm angle. So there's, there's always been what's called expert networks in the market, but nobody had ever brought that expert network down to more kind of mainstream-level uh, people. The, un- the other side of it was is um, I, would, I think that everybody wants to pay to get advice, and it turns out very few people do. It's, 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 it's in the same relation to like out of 100 people, how many people read books or buy books? Like it, you drop significantly. It's like how many people um, you know, re- read books? Very few people. Of the people who read books, how many people pay to go to an event? Very few people. Like, and, and to pay 100 bucks to get advice from somebody is, is, is a very small percent of the people who would actually do it. Um, so it, it turned out not to be a billion-dollar idea the way I saw it. And um, I had already made a lot of money when I was younger and sold my previous company. And so it was financially, I was, I was doing it more because I wanted to solve the problem. Um, so we went to exit the company and, uh, we were talking with a bunch of different firms, you know, um, the obvious ones like LinkedIn and others. And, uh, Will is somebody I knew cause he did like some other startups in LA, he did unsubscribe, he was part of unsubscribe.com, um, and a few others. So I knew of Will and, uh, he was, it was, yeah, startups.co or fundable, fundable. It was kind of like this transition between fundable and startups. And he just bought launch rock. And he goes, dude, I would love to talk to you about Clarity. And I was like, why? And he told me about his vision, how like he wanted to build this like platform and we would power. So like it was a really strong proposition. He got me, and I, he knows this, I've shared this story probably. He got me when he said, and I don't expect you to stay longer than a day. So <laughs> to any founder that's exiting, a zero day earnout is the most powerful thing you could probably say to an entrepreneur. And um all things being fair, it was an incredible deal. And I actually just talked to Will two days ago ish. Um, because I'm working on, I, I buy SaaS companies. He's, he's bought over a hundred companies. I mean, he's an, he's a beast, but, uh, I need to get some advice from him on uh, structuring a deal. And, um, yeah, it's been amazing. The fact that, and he, and he'll say it, they haven't touched the code. It continues to grow and they feel bad because it's just not their, they don't have enough team to prioritize doing anything with it. But the good news is it keeps doing what it was supposed to do. So that was a cool testament to the marketplace and the flywheel that we had built. Yeah, that's a great story. Um, you know, and, and a zero day or not is interesting because like j- just actually earlier this week, I was talking to a friend of mine who's also in the SaaS space. And, you know, they're doing about, you know, $130,000, $150,000 a month MRR now. And they've got this cool tool and they were, you know, they're like, ah, oh, I'm getting approached by these people to, to, to do kind of a liquidity event, not a full exit, but, you know, they want to buy like 70% of the company. So I'd get a bunch of money in my pocket. It would allow me to focus on other tools, but then their biggest hangup was like, you know, but in the back of my head, I would have a master, you know? And so, 
without necessarily even an expiration date because normally when you get bought out it's like okay we need you to stick around for a year or some amount of time to like make sure the transition goes smoothly you have obviously domain expertise in this space you built the business help us continue to business you know build the business but with additional resources and whatever you know how how do you think about that calculus how do you coach people to think about that calculus of when I'm ready to exit, when, once I've I've done the hard work, I've gone through the the moat and taken the battle scars, and now here I am. I'm ready to to taste the fruits of my victory. You know what kind of things should they really consider as they as they hit that that later stage of their business? So so obviously different if you're bootstrap versus funded. Let let's go the funded route. The the calculus is how many years of perfect execution are they buying? So that you got to think of it that way. If we executed perfectly, we would be at X size and they're essentially paying Y today is the potential for X. How many years is that? And I would say for most people, you know, three to five years is the norm they're willing to sell, right? Because it's enough of a premium today of not being in the market and having market risk, right? Because a lot of entrepreneurs are confident. They're like, hey, I know if we just keep doing what we're doing, it's going to look like this so you know so how many years of perfect execution are they buying if you're bootstrapped the truth is is people should run the numbers right so i had a client uh tom he had a i think it was about five million arr company and it was it was a significant deal i think about 20 million bucks and he had a three-year earnout part of the deal so i i got him to negotiate down to at least two but even at two he was running the number he's like so I'm going to take it from five to 10 probably. And so at 10, it's worth probably 50. They're paying me 20 now. I'm going to get paid 150 grand a year as a CEO. I got a boss. Like, why do I, why am I doing this? You know? And, and I think there's just that calculation in the mind. It's like, you know, what, what are you trading? Because if you have this asset, SaaS is such a beautiful model, if you build it right, that it will continue to do what it's done. Even if it didn't grow, if it's producing you know, 30, 40% a month in profit, it'll produce that yield for as long as, you know, as, long as the, the technology doesn't get too, you know, it's not too competitive or degrade or whatever. And um, you know, the truth is, and this is what's crazy, Travis, is most founders, even if you gave them 5 million bucks, they don't even know what to do with it. They wouldn't even know where to put it to get a return. <laughs> they might put it in some T-bill or some low-yield whatever index fund, and they have this thing that produces 40% on cash. Like, it's just – yeah, it's, it's economically, it sometimes doesn't make any sense because they don't know how to, to look at it. So, yeah, it, it's a tough one. But, I mean, I also get that if people – you know, our, you know, their goal is not the, econ- the, the, the economics and they're more looking at, um, th- and this is what I would say to your friend is you need to go to the end and say, what do I want my life to look like? Because here's the deal is, and I buy companies. So I, you know, I've been on the buying side of, of that situation. Um, if he wants to not stick around, then, then just figure out how to negotiate the price so he doesn't have to stick around. Right. Because I think that might be more interesting. Is saying, look, I don't want to sell seventy. I, want... I had a client actually, Jonathan. Um, he sold for ninety-five million. He wasn't going to sell one hundred percent, but at the end of the day, when he when he looked at it, he was going to sell forty percent, get some liquidity, take some risk off the table, et cetera. Um, but he's like, meh, it's not worth it. So he ended up staying on as a consultant for a year. He learned a lot. He got one hundred percent out of it. Now he's sitting on ninety-five million bucks, and he's he's now we're working on the strategies to how to build the empire, right? Because that's another big part of stuff I coach is like, what's the point of doing this if we don't have like a bigger vision for the future? So, yeah, it, it's it's very individual specific, and that's the thing that you, it's hard to give advice until you know what does for you, and everybody's different, right? Like literally, every human is a unique fingerprint, and that's totally amazing. And if they can just understand what's going to make them happy and make decisions today that's going to align with that sooner than later, that's how that's how people end up. And then the creativity really comes from that place where they can produce more. Yeah. Well, you know, it's 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 definitely an internal challenge, you know, because I've I've had you know acquisition offers, you know, for the contest tool, and and it's like I have so much nostalgia for it, which definitely clouds my judgment, right? Because like that was. That was my first SaaS. It originally started as like a WordPress plugin and turned into a SaaS and it's had over twenty thousand customers. And like, it has definitely been sort of neglected to you know not like 
it's not dead, but it, it doesn't get as much of my focus and energy now with, with the email tool. Cause as you mentioned, you know, it's like SAS in God mode, right? I, uh, I knew it was going to be challenging, tough, but it, it is a whole new level of what I ever anticipated it would be. And, and I love the challenge, but like, so it's definitely crossed my mind. Like, should I just, you know, remove this as a, as a thing hanging out there altogether, but it's, it's difficult, man. It's, it's a hard decision to make sometimes, um, on, on how to pitch it and, and give up your baby. So it's, it, it can be tough sometimes for sure. Mm-hmm. So you know, the, uh, I think I think we've covered a lot of great stuff. I, I I'd be kind of curious to shift to this next portion. So normally my uh, interviews here on Addicted to MRR, you know, we we cover strategy, and normally we go into like individual the guests, you know, numbers, what's their growth rate, churn, upsells, downsells, acquisition, etc. And I, I didn't think that was really the best fit. You know, having you on today, you're great. I know you know a lot about that, but. You know, I think we, we covered a lot of value. Well, the way I end these interviews is I always want to talk about the mental health side because I think that's a highly underrated portion. And, you know, given the history you talked about and and some of those challenges and, you know, with, with drug abuse and, and jail time, whatever else, like you, you've understood, right? You've had more diverse background than even most. But, you know, running a SaaS and operating at a high level and, run, you know, doing high stakes business and, you know, a lot of cases and a lot of entrepreneurs that early stage, like you're, you're putting your entire livelihood and the future, you know, security and risk of yourself and your family is often on the line. And with mm-hmm. that, and being a high performing entrepreneur, it's a lot of stress. It's a lot of overwhelm. And you, so you see things like anxiety, depression, panic attacks, you know, so we've had guests on that have seriously contemplated or maybe even you know gotten further down the pathway on even suicide like really deep stuff because they're under so much pressure you know as someone myself who who deals with chronic anxiety sometimes even panic attacks you know i've i've found ways to cope through it and manage it and and make sure that it doesn't affect my performance most of the time but it's still something i battle with personally and and i think it's interesting how many of our guests and how many people in my close network once i open up like that and let them know what I've had to deal with and how I've tried to overcome it, that I'm not alone. And that there's a lot of people that are dealing with the exact same struggle. So I'm curious, you know, you started several companies, like I said, you have that diverse background. What of these types of mental health issues have you faced throughout your life? And then what things do you do and incorporate into your routine so that you can, you know, power through them, you can heal and you can perform at the level that you want to be able to perform at? Yeah, I mean, Travis, such a great question. Um, the truth is, is uh, every one of them. So uh, suicide when I was younger, 17. So that was just drug addiction and having to get in a, a more positive environment. Um, failed, two failed companies right out of the gate and, um, you know, trying to push through that. The The next big one was when I was building a company called Spheric. Two years in, we we're about $2 million in revenue and I had about 12 people on staff and I realized that I'd grown too quick and I was about to run out of money and not be able to pay anybody. It was the holidays and, and Christmas, my birthday is December 26th. So you got Christmas, everybody's off my birthday, which is always a time of year for people to reflect on how much they accomplished in the previous year. And then new year's Eve, which is four or five days later. I'm in the same um, boat, December 30th. I so I, I totally feel you. I, that so window you can get be it, crushing. Man. It's like a double whammy. Like, what am I doing with my life? And here I was on my third company and I went into a a pretty serious depression where I would literally lay in a bathtub with my nose above the water and just lay there for hours, uh, just to kind of numb out the, the emotions. And I did that probably for three nights in a row until finally I just decided enough's enough. And I got out and I, I just emailed a bunch of people that I thought might be able to help. And it was really just like, here's my business. Here's where I'm at. Cause I, it was crazy to think like, it's a multi-million dollar company and I'm going to fail. Like it didn't make sense, but I was like pissed off at myself again for not seeing what I should have seen. And, um, I cold emailed a bunch of people and one of the the guys, uh, was the previous, um, prime minister of our province, the, the, the governor of our province in Canada. And he replied and he gave me three names of people. Like it literally one o'clock in the morning, cold the email, and he said, these are the three people you should talk to. And one of them was this guy named uh, Jerry Pond. And he, like, you go online and you search Jerry Pond. He looks like the grumpiest old man in the world. And I was like, I'm not going to email this guy. He's going to bark at me and like, tell me to shoo off. 
And uh, what an incredible, like that Jerry is, has become a mentor of mine, a friend of mine. Um, he asked to meet with me the following week. They shared a strategy called um, um, pricing indexes. Like the way we were pricing was just stupid and we weren't getting paid for 90 days. So I grew too fast without getting paid. And that's what caused the whole cash flow issue. Um, so as soon as they t shared th that strategy, I was like, oh my gosh. But then they looked at our business and they were like, how did you grow so quickly? And I showed them what we were doing. And um, I mean, it's just, so today what I do is um, a lot of stuff. One, I believe health is wealth. So my, my personal health and mental health is number one, meaning that you know, like every week I take a night off to myself I, and I have two young kids and a wife and like, it sounds crazy, but I have Wednesday nights. Last night was my, my Dan night. And I usually schedule time with friends. Um, so just the health side, I think is a non-negotiable. And like when I coach my clients, it's belt buckles and bank accounts, your belt buckle can't get bigger and your bank account can't go down. And it's just, if we can just focus on those two metrics, I have a full-time dedicated nutritionist on staff, Nicole, that monitors people on that on those metrics, on the biometrics, and I manage the the business metrics. And I just believe that that has helped me improve my mental fitness by the physical side to be able to deal with bigger problems. Because what I've discovered is that each level of MRR, 10K, 100K, you know, 5K, like it's all, it's all, um, becoming the person who can deal with a higher level of problems. Like the problems never go away. Like a friend of mine the other day called me, um, this woman and she was almost like in tears. Cause she's like, why is it so hard? I feel like a failure in my business. I feel like a failure as a wife. I feel like a failure as a mom. And you know, after I sat there and I just listened to her kind of like, tell me why she was so frustrated. I just said, just so you know, it's not supposed to be easy. Like it's just not. And I know that's, you don't want to hear this right now, but the reality of it is, is you've decided to create something that other people will never understand. And for you to do that, it needs to be hard because there's levels. And at each level, this moment right now is going to decide if you get to the next one or you stay where you're at. And if you push through, you will fundamentally learn a different approach that's going to allow you to get to the next level. But it's going to be hard again. And all you're really learning is how to deal with hard things and become the person who can deal. Like it's really that, Travis, that's the way I think about it is the 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 mental fitness tools that sounds like you've adopted to deal with the anxiety um those habits will allow you to be able to deal with higher levels of uncertainty higher levels of chaos higher levels of risk that will then allow you to build the skill set the mindset and the habits to go after a bigger a bigger outcome and um and and what happens is you just spend less time in that zone so i used to like you know, get into bad places in my head, maybe once a quarter. Now it's very rare on an annual basis. It's the entrepreneurial pendulum, right? It swings from exclamation mark. I'm going to take over the world. Ah, this is amazing to question mark. Like, what am I doing with my life? I can't believe I started this. I'm business. running out of money I'm tomorrow. To, oh my God. You know? I'm going to hit a wall. <laughs> yeah. right? My co-founder quit. And what's crazy is that can swing multiple times a week, sometimes multiple times a day, you wake up and it's like, Oh my God, we just hit our best revenue month. And then, Oh my God, my lead developer just quit. And Oh my God. Like, and then it's just crazy. The, the ups and downs of the euphoria and the, the depression. And now what happens is, um, and this is why I've always people that are on the spectrum, right? So uh, the autistic spectrum, um, in the Valley, I think they are, you know, pound for pound better entrepreneurs because they don't allow themselves to have the emotional whiplash that other people like myself have. And what I've discovered is as I get older, I just get better at not allowing things to, to affect me, right? A major issue happens. I can put it into context. All right. Give me the facts. Perfect. I put it here, get the team on it. We'll fix it. Right. Just confidence. It's just, you just learn how to deal without having it because dude and i'm talking like i've had um man because one of my friends uh he just got it and i was like dude i had that it was uh shingles i got shingles i went to see my doctor and he goes are you stressed i said no he goes well tell me what's going on in your life and i was like i just started a new company we're we just found out i'm gonna be a dad yeah, and we're so, moving so many entrepreneurs like, like oh no, like, no, i'm not stressed everything's good and it's like are you I'm kidding stressed? you're like getting chased yeah. by a cheetah 24 7 what are you talking about you're not stressed <laughs> 
He goes, dude, he showed me a picture of what would have happened if I didn't see him. The shingles would have like took over my body. And I'm just like, he gave me some medication. He says, dude, you're stressed. You got to really work on that. So like, it's interesting just how much um, of the game. And I really think it, it is the game is the mental um, toughness, the mental health, the mental, the mindset side that then translate into the execution, the implementation, the tactics, right? Cause like Facebook ads, we were like, I can't make it work. It's like, it's not that it doesn't work is you have a belief around Facebook ads. That's going to stop you from trying to figure it out. I, Cause anybody can Google and literally there's no, this is what's funny about the internet. It's made information accessible to everybody, but we didn't have like a surge of entrepreneurs. Like we don't have more entrepreneurs today by a factor of 10 than we did a hundred years ago. It's still the same percentage of our population. Interesting. Well, why is that? Because it was never about knowledge. It wasn't, it was never about how it was about the mindset of the who. Yeah. Risk and tolerance, that, resiliency, all these kind of factors that, you know, like, so right now I'm doing a thing called 75 heart, which is called the iron man of the mind. Right. Cause I did an Ironman in, in, in August this year, instead of like getting pissed off about quarantine, I just channeled my energy and went and did this uh, 70.3 Ironman, which sucked. But the, the, the Ironman for the mind 75 hard program is literally about, you know, just mental fortitude and toughness and just trying to, to see what's that next level. What for me, I'm always asking myself, like, what's the next gear. And here's the cool part, Travis, is I've also learned is that at every level, I need to find out what truth I believe that isn't true, let it go to replace it with one that's going to unlock the next level. So it's kind of weird to know that I believe things today that I know that today I think are true that are not going to be true. So I'm willing to go on this journey of exploration to figure out what it is so that I can unlock that next behavior, approach, tactic, or skill that's going to get me a bigger outcome. Totally. Yeah. It's sort of the difference of, of remaining in student mode and understanding that you know, if I can remove my ego from this a little bit, I'm not always going to be Here's right. Mine. No, I know I'm wrong. Like this is yeah. what's cool is I take the pressure off and I go, I'm actually wrong today about things that I need to change or I won't get to that next level because at every, when I look back, you know, it's like there's this psychological journey that has to evolve for us to, to, to become the person that can lead teams, can communicate properly, that can be a strategic thinker, that can be a critic. Like there's all these things that we need to evolve, right? Money beliefs. I mean, holy frick, that alone, Travis, we could spend days on around how people's money beliefs is stopping them from achieving their next level of, of revenue goals because they don't feel worthy of it because they've made it. I have a client, dude, he's 16 million in revenue and for before he started working with me, he was just flat at nine. Okay. And the reason he was flat at nine is because when he started, he wrote his big hair audacious goal was 10 million a year. Well, as he got to nine, he kind of took his foot off the gas and just was like, I'm good. I don't want to be greedy, etc. And when we started, and then he hired me and I was just like, dude, you, we need to work on that mindset around money. Right. <laughs> and, and, and why that's true and why, why don't you feel you're worthy of more and, and change the focus of impact of your customers? It's not even about the money, dude. It's like, there's people that are in pain that you're not helping. You have the best product in the market, but they don't even know about it because of your money beliefs. And he was like, Oh shit, let's work backwards and fix that. So I don't know. I just, I love this stuff. I'm glad that you said, you know, that you're worth, cause I think the self-worth component of that is a huge factor. Right. And it's also interesting that you talked about, you know, some of the, you know, the difficulties in your earlier childhood, I mean, I think there's, there's probably a strong correlation between people who've gone through adversity earlier in their lives that both makes them want to like, you know, or, or have a willingness to risk it all to get started, but it can also in parallel cap this like glass, this invisible glass ceiling that they impose on themselves. So there's sort of like a, you know, like bumpers on a, on a bowling alley stuck in this range where they're like willing to do all this risk and willing to take this pain, but then not willing to let themselves reach their full potential. It's kind of a interesting channel that, that we, that sometimes entrepreneurs can get it's, stuck I call in. it the thermostat. It's a thermostat. It's literally when they do well, the thermostat kicks in and cools them down. And when they're doing bad, it kicks in and gets them to hustle and they literally just oscillate. And, and you, everybody has a thermostat, every person, and they have them for their health and their business and their relationships and all that stuff. But, you know, on the, 
you know, most, a lot of people, not most, but like when I speak to entrepreneurs, I always ask like, how many of you have gone through some kind of adversity or chaos between the ages of nine and 13 and 70% of the room's (laughs) hands will go up 70, not a hundred, but 70%, right? It's not a, not a, it's not a, it's not a must have. It's just usually it finds out. And the reason I've discovered is because, because I do a lot of work with at-risk youth is their um, ability to deal with chaos and uncertainty is their superpower. It's why they make really bad employees because they don't like to be told what to do because that's too certain. They'd rather create and forge their own path. And and what's funny is is back in the day we would call them the 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 evolutionary hunters, right? These were the people that would go out into the woods and hunt and then feed the rest of the community. But today we don't have that concept of hunting. So our hunting is creating businesses. The challenge is, and I have friends like this, if they don't discover entrepreneurship, they can literally end up homeless. They can end up just bouncing around because they're in the wrong vehicle for who they are. And once they discover that and they discover personal development, it's a huge unlock. And that's the work I do with the, the with, with uh, at-risk youth is just helping them um, build their confidence and their self-worth and using business as the Trojan horse, right? Because the kids want the money, they want the bag, but I use the, um, you know, it's kind of the chocolate broccoli. The, the chocolate's the business that they want to start, but I use the, the real broccoli they need is this personal development and self-confidence building towards the, the, the money stuff. So I don't, I, again, it's, it's what I do 24 seven. It's just this area of life is for me fascinating and endless. Yeah, they're, they're definitely heavily intertwined. Um, well, anyway, yeah, this has been uh, a real pleasure, at least on my end. I, I hope you've enjoyed the time together 100%, as well. 100%, Travis. This Incredible is... questions. I appreciate it. Yeah, great. Well, you know, we, we love anyone that you want to send our way to that you think would be a great fit for the show. You know, SaaS owners. Uh, we have physical, bo- you know, physical box services that, you know, do subscriptions, the whole nine. But uh, anyway, it was a real pleasure, Dan. If someone wanted to follow up with you or is interested in your products, I know you have various levels of involvement with your coaching and, and various other products, pricing strategy, some really things I think would be super helpful for a lot of people that are in this space, right? People that are addicted to MRR, that want to take it to the next level, whether that's the business function, the mindset function, all that kind of stuff. What's the best way for them to sort of follow up on that and, and see how you could maybe work together or or have something that could help them. Yeah, if, if, if they're a B2B SaaS founder looking for uh, growth and strategies, salary, so Dan Martell, 2LDMartell.com forward slash call. So you can schedule in a time with one of my scale specialists, see if I might be able to help there. Um, if you want to s- learn more about my strategies and tactics, I've got the largest YouTube channel on YouTube for B2B SaaS founders. So Dan Martell is my channel name. So I got about 54,000 subs. And I literally, my, my life mission is learn, do, and then teach. And I give it away at all for free. Um, and then if you uh, want to see the behind the scenes of my life, Instagram stories, if you want to be motivated, TikTok, business stuff, LinkedIn. I mean, I put it all out there. And for the ones that want to work with me, I have a lot of fun. And for everybody else, I just keep mentoring and coaching from afar. And it's awesome. And you had also mentioned that, you know, you, you do acquire a lot of businesses. What's kind of the sweet spot range in terms of revenue and then, you know, maybe niche or focus that you are looking for on the acquisition side? I like I like tools that are systems of record for businesses in niches doing at least a million in ARR. Cool. Well, that's it- like the bottom end. One to two million is my sweet spot. Systems of records in niches. Um, and I usually buy and hold and, um, have a lot of fun. Cool. Well, so for the, the people that are listening that are in that range that have been thinking, Hey, maybe it's time for, you know, some liquidity, maybe it's time for the next thing. Give hit Dan up, see, see if there's a fit there, I guess. <laughs> I would love to hear from you. Great. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. You know, again, it's been a real pleasure. I, I really enjoyed this thoroughly and, uh, I'm looking forward to get this posted and, uh, we'll go from there. Thanks, Dan. All right, Travis. Thanks a lot, man.